The following episode may contain material that some listeners may find triggering or disturbing and may not be suitable for younger audiences, including depictions of sexual assault, violence, and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. I had to sit with myself and realize I don't have to be perfect. That was just something that was instilled upon me and that I had taken on for a very long time. I recently had just started like looking at myself in the mirror and looking directly into my eyes and just telling myself, you know, I love you. I'm proud of you. And when I said those things, you are beautiful. You know, I I didn't have infection at home. So when I said these things to myself, it is still like, thank you. Like somebody finally said this stuff to me. Somebody finally told me it's okay that I did this. I'm still figuring life out. And as I talk to more people and I connect with more like-minded people like myself, it's like, okay, you don't have to have it figured out. There's people older than you. There's people younger than you. There's people way older than you that's still trying to figure life out. These are stories featuring everyday women who have overcome some extraordinary obstacles. From Ash Media Network, this is the good news. Welcome back to the Good News Podcast. Today's story features Alexis. The first thing that jumped out to me about Alexis was that she was super easy to talk to. She was personable and down to earth. And there were so many moments we veered away from the interview and found ourselves talking about books, our families, favorite television shows. And it really felt like catching up with a longtime friend. Her warmth and openness was so inviting. We laughed at so many parts of our interview, and I just know you'll enjoy this story. Here's Alexis. My name is Alexis, and uh, I'm from Chicago, but right now I live in um, Nashville, Tennessee. I've been here for, I guess, three years now. And I really kind of just got acquainted here. But what I will say that I love the most is like the atmosphere and the people. Now, don't get me wrong. Like I love home Chicago, but like everybody is kind of like aggressive on edge. Um, <laughs> like, you know, you walk in a gas station and probably like the girl next to you is me mugging, which she probably doesn't mean any harm, but that's just her face. Right. Um, but out here, it's like you'll walk into the gas station and like, the person at the register is going to greet you. The customers behind you are going to greet you. People walking in and out are going to be like, hey, hi, good morning. How are you? And it's just like, it's like a breath of fresh air, you know? So I just love the atmosphere and the people. Just like everybody is always smiling, happy, and that Southern Belle type of feel, I guess. I was, well, I guess you can say like introverted um, as a kid. I was never the one to like walk up to a any group of people, any kid or anything and like start playing. I was kind of like really reserved and like I was super shy too. So I would like cling to my parents wherever we were or like if I could, I couldn't go anywhere without them because like I don't know these people and I don't have anybody. It could be like a lot of kids there, but I'm not doing that. I was kind of like a bookworm too. So like a bookworm as in like when I say I loved books it got to the point where like I was my granddad would get me like Harry Potter books for Christmas and I would be like excited like to read that type of stuff or just read period and then like even with like with that I was like a school kid so my mom would I'm there every day and if I missed a day or had my mom like you know you can miss a day I'm like no I need to be at school I do remember vowing to myself as a little girl that one 
it's so ironic that I vowed that and the complete opposite happened. But um, I vowed to myself that whenever I do have a kid, that um, they would be raised in a two-parent household because I was super grateful to be uh, with both of my parents and all of my siblings. We all had the same mom and dad. Um, I just would appreciate it or preferred if there was like more genuine connection and like more affection and all of that type of stuff. So I'm like, I'm going to do it that way. That was one of my dreams. And then also too, another one of my dreams was to whatever field of work I was doing, um, I wanted to work downtown. I wanted my own office. Um, I wanted the big windows. That was just my dream. Whatever I Whatever I wanted to do, um, I wanted to work downtown. And at that time, it was Chicago because that's where I was at. But just being downtown and like seeing the skyline and seeing people was like, I got to get there. I got to get there. Junior year, I would say like my eighth grade year, like seventh, eighth grade up until junior year, things that things had gotten things had gotten rough at home. And we lived the quote unquote American dream. So you have the two parents that love each other so dearly. They move into a house. They have the kids. They have the white picket fence and the dog. We had that, right? To everybody, you know, it was like, oh, they made it, especially for like black families, right? A lot of times we don't see that. Like we're middle class now, so we're moving on up, right? Um, So everybody looked at that and was like, um, that's the family that made it. The kids live a good life. The parents love each other and all those things. Like my eighth grade years when stuff started like getting kind of hectic, they would have their normal arguments, of course. But one thing in particular that I remember like so vividly is when they were having an argument um, and they what they always try to do is like keep it closed off for me, my brother, and my sister, because we were like shield. They try to shield us from the world. Um, so whenever they would have their arguments or anything like that, they would like go in their room, close the door or whatever, but things got, things escalated. So it was around my eighth grade graduation. I had like earned salutatorian. I had this big speech and me and my mom just went dress shopping and everything like that. And they got into an argument and it got really bad to the point where my dad called the police and the police got there and he basically like, I want them out. Now he didn't say he wanted the kids out, of course. But naturally, mom is more soft. Mom is more nurturing. So I'm, we're leaving with mom. So we leave. And as I'm walking, and I can remember this so vividly, like I remember exactly what my dad was wearing, like sitting on the porch. He had on like a white baseball cap, a white shirt. I begged him. I'm like, could you please not do this? Like, I'm getting ready to graduate eighth grade. And, you know, I got all this stuff coming up. And this is supposed to be a happy moment for us or whatever. And he looked at me and said, that's not me. That's your mama. And we just left. So in that moment, I kind of felt like, oh, dang, he left me. You know, like he he didn't even say like fight for me or anything like that. So it's like, geez, like why? Well, you know, why do you like why? What did I do to you? Why didn't you come and like, quote unquote, save me? But things got like really, really, really hectic in the household. So junior year is what led me to my child's father. I think I met him the sophomore, the year the summer of me becoming a sophomore and, you know, we were together or whatever, but junior year is when I got, I guess I was in love, I would say. And, um, that's the year that I found out I was pregnant and that's the year that I gave birth to my daughter. So, um, I had missed my menstrual, my period. And I was like, now don't get me wrong. I'm like, I know, 
my period has been coming consistently. It's this amount of days or whatever. Everything is right. So when I missed it, I'm like, oh, this is bad. So I text my big cousin and I'm like, um, I missed my period. I don't know what to do. She's like, you need to go get a pregnancy test and you need to take it and let me know what it says. So now I'm anxious. I'm like, a pregnancy test? Okay, 15-year-old me is like, a pregnancy test? Are they even going to let me buy a pregnancy test without my mom and dad? So <laughs> it was a Friday afternoon and in high school we got out early on Fridays. So I would be at home by myself for like a couple of hours before everybody got home. I took the bus and I stopped at the Walgreens before I went home got a pregnancy test so embarrassed in the store like so nobody knew my business nobody knew I was how old I but you clearly see my Chicago Bulls college prep emblem on my sweater so I'm embarrassed I go home take the test and I'm sitting on the toilet so anxious thinking like oh I'm not pregnant this is just I'm not pregnant and lord and behold I look over at the test and it's positive I freak out like I just started screaming like, no, this, I'm like, no, 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 this can't be. I started crying like, no, like this can't be real. So I'm sitting in the bathroom and I'm just, I'm crying. Like I'm crying. I don't even want, I'm shaking at this point. I don't even want to tell my cousin, like I'm pregnant. So, and then, but she's the only person that knew the situation. So I text her back and I was like, I'm pregnant. What am I, you know, like, what am I going to do? She's like, um, you need to, she said, you either need to go to the doctor to see how far along you are, um, or you need to tell your mom and daddy, um, or you need to figure out how you're going to come up with the money to get an abortion. So I'm 15 years old. I can't go to the doctor and say, Hey doc, uh, I'm pregnant. I'm 15. And I want to know how many far away I am. You're a minor. You need your parents here. So that was ruled out. Then my parents provided everything for me. So where am I going to get the money for an abortion? Don't know. And then I'm the good kid. The good kid, the good child messed up. How am I going to tell my parents that the perfect child has made this big mistake? I was the example, right? Especially with me feeling like, oh, I have to, like, I can't make a mistake. You know, that the good kid behavior or whatever. So it's like, I didn't know how the heck I was going to tell them that their 15 year old was pregnant. Believe it or not, I tell everybody this when they ask. I literally forgot about it. I was in so I was in so much denial. Like, how could I be pregnant? So I literally went on for a few months without nothing, and I just kind of like buried it in the back of my memory. Like, yeah, I'm pregnant, but I mean, what's I don't know what I was gonna do, but I'm not pregnant, you know. So it's that letting people down, and that's it. It it's that disappointment in yourself because you know a lot of times our parents. And then they would tell me stuff like, you better not have sex, you better not do this, and you better not do that. And it's like, oh, they're going to be really upset with me, you know? So it is that disappointment within yourself. And then it's also, you let everybody down. They thought better of you not to do the thing that that's so sinful, or that's so bad, you know? And then you're not pure anymore. You lost your innocence because now you've given yourself away. And not only have you given yourself away, but now you're having a baby when you're still a baby yourself. So it's like that disappointment factor that comes into play with it. Like, oh, I really screwed up this time. So the thing is, I'm, I never even went to my mom and said, hey, mom, I'm pregnant. And my mom had been saying like, oh, girl, you're gaining weight like throughout the months. And I'm like, you know, like, go, girl, go on. Like, shooing her away from me when she tried to touch me. Uh, and at this point, like, my daughter had started moving and stuff. So I'm like, that's when I, the, the, 
when I put it to the back of my mind, me being pregnant, it came to the forefront because now my morning sickness is starting and now she's moving like it's a baby in here. It was another Friday where I was at home and I took a nap, pregnant. I got to use the bathroom a lot. I'm sleepy. So I took me a really good nap. I wake up. Everybody's at home. I smell food. I come down the stairs happy, ready to see my family. I remember my brother and my sister playing in the kitchen and my mom, my dad was in the room and their room and my mom was at the stove. I think she was cooking Rotel or something like that. And she goes up, she looks at me and the only thing she says is go upstairs. I already know what's about to happen. I'm walking up the stairs anxious, like, what am I going to say? What is she going to say? Is she about to beat me? Like, whoop me really bad? What am I about to do? So we walk upstairs and we get to my room and she's like, raise your shirt up. I raise my shirt up and there it is. My This is not a Chipotle belly. Like this is a, <laughs> and I wasn't big, but this is like a pregnant. Cause I was, believe it or not, I was super, super skinny. So uh, um, she's like, raise your shirt up. She's seen my round belly. And when I say she bawled like instant, just bawled. And she was just like, at this point, she was just like, I hate you. You know, how could you do this to me? You know, that's all. That's literally all she kept saying. Why? And all these things. And like, um, again, I'm that kid that could do no wrong. So I'm trying to get her to calm down so my dad doesn't hear it because I don't want to. I disappointed you. Now, I don't want him to hear it. Right. So I um, I'm trying to get her to calm down. And then I guess I think it's my brother and my sister came upstairs and seen both of us crying. Because at that point now I'm crying too because I want to tell you how I feel, but I'm in trouble. So I can't really express how I feel because you're not trying to hear that because you see me with a pregnant belly. So I guess they went and told my dad that we were crying and he comes upstairs and um, he comes upstairs and he looks, he like, what's going on? He looks at her, he looks at me, looks back at her and was like, um, I told you so. And just walked off. And um, I'm trying not to cry. But in that in that moment, it kind of felt like he had already abandoned me that one time where, you know, when I told you about me being in eighth grade and he put us out and like everything from what he had done to me had built up to that point. And it was just like for you to say, I told you so. And for you to have, even if you had like this premonition or this feeling that something was going on, you still did not come and save me. You still didn't come to my rescue when I needed to. You still didn't, you know, try to figure out. You still didn't try to, you know, come and get me in love on me like I needed or see, you know, why I ran into the arms of this boy. Like, I told you so. And then, like, he literally did not talk to me for, like, two or three weeks after that. Now, mind you, my dad was taking me to school. My dad was... Me and my dad are the only ones up in the house at five in the morning getting ready. And for my dad not to say anything to me, it was like a, a, a hit to my stomach. He asked me, um, you know, is the baby moving? Now, my daughter is kicking like crazy in my stomach. At, at some reason, she's just up, just kicking, kicking down all of a sudden. And I tell her, like, no, because I still hadn't went to the doctor. I still don't know. I mean, at this point, I know it had been some months, but I still don't know how far along I am. So she's like, okay. So she said, uh, she told me that she was going to talk to me later. And she set an appointment to go to an abortion clinic. 
we're sitting in an abortion clinic and it's like right across from me I see a girl and I guess they gave her some medicine to open her cervix up and she's right there like going through the motion she's like ooh and ah and like she's like it really hurts so now I'm terrified I'm terrified like what's about to happen to me so we go into the room and the lady does the ultrasound my mom isn't even looking at the ultrasound like she's turned away um, while she does it so the lady wipes me off wipes the stuff off or whatever and she looks at me and she says she can have this baby any moment now she's eight months I was listening to an episode on NPR's Code Switch called The Women Behind the Montgomery Bus Boycott. And when I say I was tapped in from the moment I pressed play, when we think about the bus boycott, we think about Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King, but we never really learned how this bus boycott was organized. But in this episode, you hear directly from the many women who organized for months and did what it took to make this bus boycott happen. And y'all, I was locked in the entire time. If you're interested in hearing more stories like this, you have to check out NPR's podcasts. And NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Stories of joy, stories of resilience, stories that are distinct and varied and nuanced as the Black experience itself. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Really, honestly, I didn't have anybody, like, consistently letting me know, like, you're going to be okay. Like, a lot of times, I held, had to deal with this by myself. I kind of felt like it went back to that example that I had to set because a lot of times, like, growing up, my parents didn't have to worry about me because I did everything right. So I felt like, again, although I made this mistake, she's going to be okay. She's going to figure it out. So again, a lot of times I felt like I was alone in that um, because nobody had to necessarily uh, worry about me going through this. I have more of a, I guess, a compassion or something for like, if, if I know you're the strong person or like the strong girl or even a man, like I'm going to be like, Hey, you good? Like, I'm just checking on you because I haven't heard from you. I seen you post anything or whatever. Like I do that a lot. Because I know how sometimes we sit in those dark spaces and we're alone and we feel like people don't really care because we're quote unquote good. Um, and you just want you just want somebody to come and save you, you know, so it's just like or just to listen to you, hear you out. Even if you don't want anybody, you just need to let it out. And I just can't for the life of me figure out <laughs> why we don't give people like that as much as attention as we do the ones that are always in stuff like the bad kids or stuff like that you know so I don't know when I did tell the school like we were talking about adoption like we were going to give her up for adoption because we can't I can't take care of this baby my mom and dad we're not taking care of another baby so that was in the air right adoption was in the air um so when I held this little pale little thing in my mind adoption where I don't care if my mom and dad is going to put me out adoption where this is I didn't have an identity, I felt like, because I was trying to, you know, I was the example and as a people pleaser. So I'm doing, I was um, what everybody saw me as. I didn't know who I was personally. 
But this right here, this is my, my identity is going to be in her. So I don't care what they do. They can put me out. They can do whatever they're going to do. But I'm not giving this baby up for adoption. This is my girl. This is my baby girl. This is my, this is who I am now. So it's like, it was a, it was still a shocking kind of disappointing moment. I would say, because it's still the back of my mind. This is a mistake that I made that I have to, and actually like a constant reminder or something that I have to deal with, you know? Um, but at the same time, <clears throat> there was a blessing in this because now I have, even though I don't recommend mothers having identities in their kids, but I have some type of identity now in this little girl. It blows my mind because not only am I seeing like how God loves me through her, but also when I say, and I don't say this to like brag on my kid, but when I say she's the epitome of God's love, she's speaking affirmations over me. She writes me letters, pouring light, like speaking life into me. Like in my office, I have a, a board where it's nothing but her letters. And she's like, you're an amazing black woman. If you, if you feel like you're sad, cry it out. You can always come to me. Don't feel alone. Uh, whenever you're having a bad day, read this. Like she does all of these things. And not only that, she's so forgiving, right? So it's times where, because <clears throat> I'm still young and I'm still learning, where she'll forgive me for overreacting for things that I do. Like we'll have a conversation and she'll just be like, mom, it's okay. Come and hug me. She's very understanding. So it's like, when I cry all the time because it's like, all the time I would ask God to show, like reveal, reveal yourself to me. And time after time again, here comes this little person. Like, okay, now I see you're revealing yourself to me through her because it's like every when I'm the ranch, she'll come and give me random hugs out of nowhere. Like she'll come and just, even at her, she's she's about to be eleven. She comes out and she just does like this. She hugs me, kisses me, like she. When I say this child loves me, and I also think it's playing to like the fifteen year old in me that she's loving on so they're like embracing that so much but it's just like I'm seeing it both ways me protecting her and her coming back and showing like I feel like a lot of times God shows he loves me through her I have to be so honest with you I cried so much during this part of our interview I cried because Alexis shared her story in such a beautiful way but I kept thinking about women that I knew, cousins that I grew up with, friends that I have, my own mom, who were also teen moms. I kept thinking about the 15, 16, 17-year-old girl and them, how they had to grow up really fast, yet they were still babies themselves. There is so much shame and resentment and guilt when a young girl gets pregnant, especially within the black community. And as isolating as it may feel for that young girl going through this, it is also incredibly common. I asked Alexis, in her opinion, how would you say society, the culture, maybe even your community, views young women who become teen moms? Was it necessary? How does a baby change the family dynamic? Here's what she had to say. Um, I kind of feel like what we were saying earlier, um, they kind of like treat them as like throwaways. Um, like once you become a teen mom, you're getting on, well, I'll say welfare because back in the day, but like welfare, section eight, you're using the government for all these things and that's where you're going to be forever. Like you're not, you're not exceeding, you're not doing anything above what you became. I feel like, too, they, there's this negative connotation to being a young mom, a teen mom, I should say. Like, there's nobody that goes beyond, well, not nobody, but there aren't a lot of people that goes beyond the surface level and to see 
what was the driving mechanism to this girl feeling like she's safe with this person for this girl to feel like she has to give her body to this guy. Like nobody looks at her mental stability. Nobody looks at her emotional capacity and to understand, you know, what, what, what happened for her to get here. So I feel like society has very, very negative views on team mom. And like we said earlier, nobody tells you that this is common. Um, my granddad told my mom, which is a part of the reason why uh, we didn't give, give her up for adoption. He told me too, you're not the first to have a child early and you're not going to be the last one to have a child early. And in his family, we don't give kids up for adoption. We're going to raise this baby. And I feel like a lot of girls don't like myself and your cousins. We didn't have that safe space to know it's okay. You know, you didn't mess up, but it's okay. You are not like, this is not something that's going to drown your whole world or in your entire world. It's just a stepping stone and we just have to maneuver around life in a different way. When she got here, everybody, now my brothers, so they were young, so they were like, yeah, your baby is coming anyway. But mom and dad, oh, everybody became infatuated with her. No, 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 no. She brought, like with the mist, in the midst of the chaoticness, or that's not even a word, but in the midst of the chaos in that house, it's gonna be today, in the midst of the chaos in our household, she was, again, she was always that center to be like, okay, we can't do this in front of Zaya. Like, Zaya's here, shut up. Um, it was always, she was like that light that come. Everybody adored her. It didn't take until for me to move here, and that was three years ago, and so in the heart of the pandemic, um, for me to actually, and it's not even for me to learn to forgive myself and give myself grace, but for me to actually sit down and see me, right? Because a lot of times, a lot of the time, I still will reflect on the things that happened when we were all living together. Like my dad, when I say my dad took me through some stuff, he really led me to believe like I wasn't his child. Like he really didn't love me. I had to sit with myself and realize I don't have to be perfect. That was just something that was instilled upon me and that I had taken on for a very long time. Um, and it wasn't actually until this year where I slowly but surely started forgiving myself. Like looking, I, I recently had just started like looking at myself in the mirror and looking directly into my eyes and just telling myself, you know, I love you. I'm proud of you and all of these things. And for a very long time, I would just cry because it's like I was not staring into the soul, but looking at 15 year old me just standing there ashamed, embarrassed, scared and shocked. And when I said those things, you are beautiful. You know, I, w I didn't have infection at home. So when I said these things to myself, it is still like, thank you. Like somebody finally said this stuff to me. Somebody finally told me it's okay that I did this. And then now I extend myself grace because it's like like we just said I'm I'm still figuring life out and as I talk to more people and I connect with more like-minded people like myself it's like okay you don't have to have it figured out there's people older than you there's people younger than you there's people way older than you that's still trying to figure life out you know so it's just like now I'm at a point where I'm slow to anger like I'm slow to speak and I'm still working on myself and not even just working on myself but digging deeper into myself to understand you know, now that you know that you went through this, how can you be better for her? Because now it's it's these are pivotal points of her life and what you have learned. How are you going to instill that into her? I asked Alexis for someone who is currently a teen mom, became a mom early or still dealing with that hurt or shame that they felt when they got pregnant. What's the best piece of advice you can give them 
and for someone who has never gone through this, but they can learn something or just how to better support young women who are currently pregnant, what's the best piece of advice you could give them? Um, I have just a few points. The first one is what we said already. You're not the first. You are certainly not going to be the last. You are the creator of your story. So although this happened to you, you create the ending. Like you create what it's going to be. And just know that the enemy works overtime when you have something great inside of you to try to destroy it. Allow room for growth and grace, I would say, because um, a lot of times, like we said, they just we society treats them as throwaways. Right. And I feel well, allow room for growth, guidance and grace, because you never know what could come of this teen pregnancy. Like you never know how great the mom could be. And we need to uplift mom so that she can create great kids, you know. Um, and at the end of the day, they still need guidance, right? It's still a baby raising a baby. She's never been a mom before. I was 15. I've never lived a 16-year-old life. I still need guidance to be not only a mom, but to be a 16-year-old too. Don't be so harsh on her, especially with like postpartum and um, the motions, your, your mental capacity and emotional capacity when you're pregnant. Hormones are crazy. So extend grace to that young girl because she's She's never been through this. I'm not saying an older woman hasn't or never been through that either, but she's her mind is much uh, less developed. So let's try to still instill love, affirm her. Let's still try to instill her with life and still guide her through the path of being a mom and also still being a whatever age mom she is. So the good news I can share, you'll get through it. It may not seem like it. It may not feel like it. It's probably impossible to see. However, if you keep weathering the storm, I promise it's going to get greater later. I guess another goal that I feel like God has been nudging me on, because I have such this sensitive spot for like this topic, is to start a nonprofit organization. I'm going to start here in Nashville first and then like have like a group in Chicago, too. Um, I got a name for it and everything. So it's like really just I'm going to start off as like a support group for teen girls from like 13 to 26. And it's just going to be like you can find your village here. You can be vulnerable, say how you feel. And as it progresses, I want it to be something where I can provide resources. I can provide some type of links or funding for like housing or food or, you know, I want it to go beyond my wildest dreams, I should say. And then my dreams is like, honestly, I hit one of my dreams because I do work downtown. Um, it's not downtown Chicago, but it's downtown, girl. And I work in one of the tallest buildings in Nashville. Well, the tallest building in Nashville. I got my own office. I can see the Nashville skyline. Um, so I know that if I God bless me with that dream, I'm going to have that dream of my daughter being raised in a house where there is unconditional love. I don't care if she's 20, 30, 40. 50, she'll still be able to come home and say, that man, her stepdad, he knows who he is. Um, <laughs> her stepdad, no, seriously. But that man loved my mom unconditionally, and we instilled that same love in her that I was missing as a kid. So that is still a dream of mine, and I know it's going to happen. As a final question to Alexis, I had to ask if she could go back in time and tell younger Alexis something. What would she say? So honestly, <clears throat> it's two things I would, I guess, do and say. The first thing I would do is just hold her. I would just, in that moment when she's crying, 
just hold her, kiss her, rub her, hug her, and let her know um, by like physical touch that I'm here. Once we guess connect in that moment, then I would just grab her by her hands and just look her right in the eyes and just say, you are not alone. It is okay. I love you. You do not, this is just an example of you don't have to be perfect and you're still going to be fine. This is your moment to change your, the trajectory of your life. And look, and if I could tell her, you know, 10 years from now, you're going to be well off. 10 years from now, you're not even going to think about this time when you sit in here cry because y'all are going to be good. Um, so if I could just hold her and like console her so much and, and just console her in that moment would be the only thing I want to do and let her know that she is not alone and to move her own. Let her know that I'm rooting her own with the entire journey. If you or someone you know is a young parent or currently expecting, you are not alone. Click the link in the description of today's episode to learn more about your local services that may be available to you. If you would also like to keep up with Alexis, her journey, and her nonprofit, those links have been provided in the description as well. The Good News Podcast is a collection of personal stories told week by week with brand new episodes every Wednesday. Brought to you by Ash Media Network. And remember, with every bad day, there will always be a good day to follow. With every obstacle comes a victory. There is always something good to look forward to. Good news is always on its way.